if we're honest, we're all sinners. And we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And we're better together than we are apart. Is that right? Thank you all for leading together. And I just love that. Uh, This morning we're going to be talking about uh, two disciples who are on their way uh, home from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles this morning and turn there, we'll be starting with verse 13. And it says, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. So I just want to pause there for a few moments. When it says that very day, two of them were going that very day, it's talking about Easter, the resurrection day. So that very day, these two are walking uh, on their way home from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and it's that the same day that the the Mary Magdalene and and the other women came to the disciples and told them about the empty tomb, how exciting that was. And but if you jump back to verse eleven in the same chapter, it says, "But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them." Talking about the women who had seen the empty tomb. And they ran back to the disciples and telling them, the tomb's empty, Jesus is alive. Or they hadn't known that for sure, but it appeared nonsense to them. So the disciples are like, whatever, we don't believe you. And it says that Peter actually went and ran to see for himself. So this is where we find the two disciples in our passage this morning. They had just experienced the most traumatic weekend of their lives. It was their, their Savior, their Lord, their teacher who had been crucified and killed and buried, and then now these women are talking about how he, uh, the tomb is empty. But I want to emphasize how they set out together, journeying together on this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And it was seven miles, so uh, I think it's about seven miles from the city limits to this canyon that's outside of town here, where the Baptist encampment is, about seven miles Um, So this is how far they were traveling. I mean, it wasn't that far, but seven miles, you would need a companion. And so they set out together uh, because traveling in pairs was much safer for protection. And also, if you remember, Jesus sent them out in pairs. So they they went out in pairs, they went out together, and uh, it's important to travel out together. And I just love it when I come into a to the church on the, during the weekdays, I see groups of, of people, women mostly, walking around the church building, you know, getting exercise in, but I love how they're walking together. They're companioning together, sharing stories of their life, how the highs and lows of what's going on throughout their weeks, what's going on, and sharing their faith with. We all need to be included in a Christian community And this Christian community here at First Baptist needs you to be a part of it. It's within these Christian communities that our faith can truly grow, where we can talk about life together, where we can share our faith with, share our testimonies with, and be encouraged by one another. So this is where the two disciples are doing. They're companioning together on this journey as they journeyed home. But 
And they were talking about all these things that had happened about Jesus' death and, and the empty tomb. And it was good that they were traveling together, but I kind of think they were traveling away from the community of disciples in Jerusalem. They were walking home. They were, they were basically done. We're walking home, traveling together, which is good, but I don't think they truly believed with the women, because it says it appeared to them as nonsense, this story they were telling. Let's continue reading in verse 15. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. It's funny, this kind of reminds me of a, a show called Undercover Boss. Any of y'all ever seen that show? <laughs> undercover Boss. Jesus is the undercover boss. It's this show, if you never watched it, it's about uh, this, um, a manager, boss, or a owner of a business uh, goes undercover for a few days, uh, you know, pretending to be a new employee and figuring out how, to, how the stuff works and being trained by who are really his employees or her employees. And they're undercover, so they don't know. So the other employees don't know who they, that person is. And so um, they start, he's, that's, that way they can learn about the business and, and how they actually treat their other fellow employees and how they actually work, their work ethic and stuff. And so as these disciples are walking and talking, Jesus himself, undercover boss, comes and starts walking with them, but they didn't recognize him. And, but these were Jesus' disciples. They were his followers. He was their leader. And it's, it's just funny to me that they weren't able to recognize the person they were truly following. And I think this can happen so often in our lives, is we call ourselves Christians and we're followers of Christ, but then throughout our lives we aren't able to recognize when Jesus is actually present, when the Holy Spirit is moving. And so we need to focus our complete attention on Christ and not get distracted by how we look or how we say things. And I know sometimes as a minister, I get that way, and I admit it. I, I sometimes focus on, well, how, how do I, am I saying this right, or do I, do I look okay saying it, or, you know, instead of focusing on what truly is important, and that's Jesus Christ. And sometimes, however, we're prevented from seeing God's goodness, aren't we? Right at the moment, we're, we're not able to see, where, where's God in all this? Where's, I, don't, I don't see anything good about this. It's because God wants us to trust in Him, trust in His plan, and, and then He will reveal it later to us. He does that to encourage you to keep trusting in Him. Sometimes we're prevented from seeing this clear picture because God desires for us to take the journey with him so he can explain what's going on and, and, and the impact it has. Jesus, the undercover boss. I just love that. Read with me, if you will. The, we're going to read the next several verses, 17, starting with verse 17 through 24. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. 
But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it was the third day since these things happened, but also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. I'm just going to interpret what, how Jesus is uh, talking to these disciples on the way, on their way. He's, I mean, Jesus is suddenly walking with them, and he said, what are y'all talking about? What's, what's going on? And, and, and really, they stopped still, and they're like, man, this guy doesn't know. And so they're like, are you the only one who doesn't know what's happened? Where have you been? Have you been living in a cave somewhere to not know these things? I mean, Jesus could have easily answered, yes, I've been in a cave. Well, his tomb <laughs> was basically a cave. And so Jesus is like, well, and he keeps the conversation going. He's like, no, well, what, what things are you talking about? At this point, I'm sure the disciples' jaws dropped, and they're like, is this guy serious? He doesn't know anything? How in the world has this man not heard about Jesus? I think it's a fair point to say that we shouldn't assume that others already know about Jesus. I mean, there are lots of people in the world who have never even heard the name Jesus Christ. And can we honestly say that we've ever even met someone who's never heard of Jesus Christ? And if you can say, no, I never have met anyone who doesn't know Jesus, then how hard are you looking? Are you looking for people who don't know Jesus? Because isn't that our mission, to go tell others about Jesus Christ and the good news? How hard are we looking? There are also people we see every day that we just assume know Jesus. I mean, they may call themselves a Christian. They may go to church. But do they know the Savior? Do they know Him as Lord and Savior? But often that's a reflection of us because we are not excited about our faith. We're not telling that good news to others. We're not reflecting God's love to others. We're all guilty of this because we make it primarily about ourselves. It's all about us, about our experiences, our wants, and our needs. And we, we labor under this mistaken idea that it's all about us. I know, I'm guilty of this at times, especially when I was in high school. It was all about me. I, was, I was, wanted to be popular. I played sports. You know, it's, it's all about Nathan Adams. And then my youth minister t started a, a series called It's Not About You. And it's basically pointed the finger in my face and saying, dude, it's not about you. It's, a, it's all about Jesus, and you need to focus your attention on that, on him. And as a result, I was able to lead one of my friends to Jesus Christ. I was able to invite him to church and started praying with him and discipling him. We discipled each other, and I just, I think it was all because someone told me, Nathan, it's not about you. I think we need to hear that sometimes. So as a result of our own spiritual transformation that we receive from Jesus Christ— we ought to seek out the poor, the lost, the brokenhearted, and serve those people, love on those people. But how do we do this? 
How do we grow in this area of service, of love for others? I believe it's through discipleship. And discipleship happens in a Christian community. This happens in our Sunday school classes. We open up God's Word and we say, what, what does this mean? And how do we apply this to our lives? But I think if we go a little bit further, we'll grow even more because, I mean, Sunday school happens once a week. Sunday mornings, and a lot of times it's too early for most of us. We don't like to get up that early on Sundays. But I think if we, if we started small groups, a, a small group, you know, meeting in a home once a week to just do life with together, to be spiritually transformed together, to grow together, to share what is going on in our lives with others, that's how we really, that's how we really grow in Christ. I know it may seem impractical to try and get together once a week with a group of people when you're already so busy, you got your, this busy schedule, something every night or every day. But we need, we need this Christian community. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings to worship God together and to encourage one another. But I know in the middle of the week and, and, and all, it, get, it, it gets busy and it, it's, it's hard. We need this. We need each other through Jesus Christ. We need to meet together with the shared desire and purpose of growing spiritually. I think it would be awesome if everyone here attended a small group once a week. We had, we had small groups of people meeting to grow together, to study the God's Word, and to be able to ask each other, how's your spiritual walk going? What's the condition of your soul? And, and to be able to talk about these things to be able to answer honestly, well, I'm not doing so great. I, can you pray for me? Yes, I would love to pray for Let's pray right now. I'm struggling at work or, or whatever it is. We need, to, we need to have these people in our lives who will invest in us, who we know will be there for us because if we're honest, we're all in this together. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We need to meet together with that shared desire to grow in Christ. Also, we need one another for encouragement when life gets tough, as the author of Hebrews writes, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We need these types of spiritual friendships to help point us to the truth of God and to help us discern God's will in our lives. You may be going through something right now that you're just like, I don't know what to do. That's what these small groups, that's what this Christian community is for, to help us discern what God's will is. Back in our passage, these two disciples were heading home after their hopes and dreams were shattered and after their Lord had died, but people were talking about him being alive again. The road they were on from Jerusalem to Emmaus was what I'd like to call the road between the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. It was the road of confusion where they did not quite understand what God's purpose was in all of it. This is what Richard Rohr calls liminal space. Liminal space. The Latin word limen literally means threshold or on the brink, referring to that needed transition when we are moving from one place or one state of being to another. Liminal space is usually influenced by some sort of inner crisis where you have left the tried and true or it has left you. 
and you have not been able to replace it with anything else. Anyone here like Bluebell? Bluebell fans? Oh yeah, I'm a big Bluebell fan. You guys remember a few years ago when Bluebell couldn't make the Bluebell anymore, the ice cream, because of Listeria concerns? That was hard, wasn't it? It was like, what are we going to do? I mean, do I try other ice cream brands, or, or do I just not have ice cream? Or what about the peach cobbler? Do we just not serve it with ice cream now? Because where's the Bluebell? That Bluebell crisis put us in a liminal space. Praise God that Bluebell is back now. Y'all are great. <laughs> there are many different people in the Bible who, have, who we find in this liminal space. It makes me think of Abraham. Abraham who was called by God to leave his father's house and to go to a land where he didn't know anything. It makes me think of Joseph who was thrown into a pit by his brothers and sold as a slave into Egypt. It makes me think of the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years in the wilderness, expectantly waiting for the promised land. Sometimes you may find yourself in this liminal space, and in a way, that's where we are today. We're waiting on Jesus Christ to return again and one day experience his glorious return and, and the glory of heaven. We find ourselves on this road between the now and the not yet. It's in our text today that Cleopas, the disciple Cleopas and an unnamed disciple on the Emmaus Road are found in this liminal space between the life they had known and whatever was supposed to happen next. But did you notice that the second disciple doesn't have a name? The second disciple is unnamed. Some people think it was maybe Cleopas's wife. Some people think it could have been the author Luke. I don't know. that there's, there's lots of different theories about this, but the fact that we don't know the name of this uh, second disciple makes it easier for us to identify ourselves on this road between the now and the not yet. While it may feel that whatever caused us to be on this road is beyond our control, we do have control of one thing, whether we will walk the journey alone or, or choose to walk it with others picture, I mean, yesterday, I don't know how many of y'all built a fire at home because it was so cold. I did. It was, man, it was cold yesterday. But think about coals in a hot fire. They, they are able to get the fire warm together. They, but if you take a coal out of the hot fire, what happens to it? It doesn't stay hot. It doesn't stay on fire. And as the Christian community, when we're taken out of the when, when Christians are taken out of the Christian community, we're like that coal that's taken out of the fire. We lose our heat. We lose our, our passion, our desire, and our journey of, uh, uh, for God and, and for Christ. But we have that here. We have believers who care deeply about one another. We have a fire going, and I'm excited about this church. But we have to continue building each other up, meeting together, growing in Christian community, and choosing to walk with others, not just for ourselves. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, Life Together, he said, Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality 
created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more everything else between us will recede, and the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. And here's what I like. He says, we have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another holy and for all eternity. We have this common bond with Christ where we can come together as sinners, admitting our sin, confessing our sin before God and fellow believers, and growing in Christ together. As we are changed into more loving, surrendered Christ followers, we become the presence of Christ in the world that so desperately needs us. Jesus Christ and his work is the one and only thing that is vital between us. But our spiritual gifts are not given for our own benefit. They're given for the building up of the body of Christ so that we can be all that we are meant to be. Okay, let's move on to verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. If you were to ask someone to name a time in their spiritual life when they grew or felt the closest to God, many people will refer to a time when they had to experience suffering, pain, or loss. Even though whatever they had to go through was real and they probably would not choose to go back, looking at that experience through the lens of what God was doing through it offers a whole different perspective. In fact, sometimes what they feel they gained was so valuable that they may even say, even though it was hard, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Even though it was hard, I wouldn't trade it for anything. We're all on a spiritual journey, and sometimes it is hard. We need to trust in Christ, keep our focus on Jesus, and journey together to help one another, to grow together. And this is what ja- exactly what Jesus did for the two disciples here. He gave the gift of helping them see through this difficult time through, with a different perspective. Having listened to them talk about Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus had now earned the right to speak as a stranger to them. And when he did speak, he offered them more than just comfort for what they had gone through, but he gave them a completely different set of lens through which to see their traumatic experiences. Jesus drew attention to the nature of the spiritual journey, saying that it was, it was necessary for the Christ, for the Messiah, to suffer and die. But the two disciples didn't understand the scriptures meant, what, what the scriptures meant concerning Jesus the Messiah. They wanted to believe that he, was, he had come to establish his earthly kingdom, to redeem Israel, that he would save the world. But God had a different plan for his only son. He does save the world through his death and resurrection on the cross, and he gives us new life by his resurrection. And all this was accomplished through Jesus, who was the absolute fulfillment of the scriptures. I came across something this week called the Bible in 50 words. God made, Adam bit, Noah arced, Abraham split, Joseph ruled, Jacob fooled, Bush talked, Moses balked, Pharaoh plagued, people walked, sea divided, tablets guided, promise landed, 
Saul freaked, David peaked, prophets warned, Jesus born. God walked, love talked, anger crucified, hope died. Love rose, spirit flamed, word spread, God remained. I'm sure Jesus took more than 50 words to explain the story of redemption to these two disciples, but I think that's a helpful summary of the Bible. One of the most valuable offerings we can make to one another in a spiritual, spiritually transforming community is to offer this perspective that, that helps us see through what we are going through. To affirm that God is at work even in our suffering and that we desperately need him. That is what Jesus did here with the disciples. He helped them see a greater purpose for the suffering of Jesus and that God's plan does not end in death, but in new life and redemption for all his people. That's the good news that people all over the world desperately need to hear and that we need to share. We need to be bold in our faith. Let's read verse 28. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as, as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. Breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Have you ever had a conversation with someone that just, you never wanted it to stop? It just, it just felt good to be talking to this person. Maybe it was, maybe it was a, a, a son or daughter on the phone, or, or someone came to visit you, or, or whatever it was. If you had this type of experience, this type of burning in your heart, then you know what these disciples were are, are talking about and they felt. The conversation they had with Jesus as he explained the scriptures to them was so good that they had, were like, weren't our hearts burning? Didn't you feel that? Man, I was just getting excited when he was talking about that, about himself. And these two disciples experienced the real Jesus in person. And it wasn't until he broke the bread that they were reminded of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It was at that moment that they realized they had been in the presence of their Savior, of their leader, and he was alive. Sometimes in our own personal journey, we may experience Jesus only in passing. We may go to church and really feel God's presence, but then we go back home, back to our own village, back to our jobs, or back to school, and we don't invite Jesus to come along with us. As the disciples came into their village, Jesus acted as if he was going on further down the road, but they urged him to stay with them. You see, Jesus is just like you and me. We want to be invited along. Jesus isn't going to barge into your house or storm into your workplace. He doesn't force yourself into your life, force himself into your life, but he wants you to be in his presence, and he wants to be in your presence. Sometimes that means taking time to rest in God's presence by inviting him into your house. Other times it may mean that you journey on with him instead of stopping in where it may seem the most comfortable. You know, because Jesus was going on further, but they said, come in, stay with us. We need to be inviting Jesus along and also responding in obedience when God calls us to go on with him. It could mean that he wants you to open up your home for discipleship 
or, or, or to join the church or to do some other type of ministry here in this city. Going further on the journey with Christ means that you ask God what it means He wants you to do. He will provide the means. Don't worry about that. You just need to respond in obedience to Him. That's what serving in His kingdom is all about. Because in the end, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. We are living in this liminal space between the now and the not yet. We are all sinners, unworthy of the life to come. But Jesus didn't consider us strangers, but calls us friends, and we can walk together in his presence. I'm going to be finishing up here, these next, two verse, or next three verses here, starting with verse 33. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. These two disciples had spent the day walking to Emmaus, but now they realize they have a commission to fulfill. The women had told them earlier that the tomb they found was empty, but now they could verify that Jesus was, in fact, alive with them. It also says here it it was at that same hour. So at that same day, these disciples were traveling away from the community of disciples, away from Jerusalem, going home. And it says at that same hour, they got up and went to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the disciples, saying, the Lord has risen. You know, they were just sitting around the table. They probably didn't even get up and wash the dishes. They probably just sprinted back to Jerusalem because they were so excited about Jesus being alive. Remember, it was now evening, though. It was getting late, and it would have been dangerous for them to travel on the roads at night, but that didn't bother them. They weren't worried about it. They needed to tell the rest of the disciples. They couldn't contain themselves. They had to share the good news. When we have an encounter with Jesus Christ, we have to desperately share the good news of Jesus with others. That's his commission to us. No matter how difficult or challenging it may be, we are called to share God's love with everyone. When John Wesley began his walk with Jesus, he said that his heart was strangely warmed. Sometime later, he was asked the secret of his ministry. He replied, I asked God to set me on fire and let let people watch me burn. It's time to see the Savior like never before. When we do, we'll move from heartbreak to heartburn, where our hearts will just burn for Christ, to share Christ with others. From broken hearts to believing hearts, as we shine forth the light of Christ to a dead and dying world. I want to leave you here with just a few questions. As you journey on the road between the now and the not yet, between what is to come, are you seeking out spiritual companions? who can walk the journey with you, who can encourage you, who can love you, who you can share your faith with. And on your journey, will you recognize Jesus? When he comes, will you, will you recognize him? And then I ask you, do you know him today as your personal Lord and Savior? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you do for us. Thank you for the love you share with us. Thank you for putting people in our lives who will care for us. And thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who walks with us on our journey.
God, I pray that we would gather around, that we would be closer, a closer community than we've ever been before. That we would just get excited about serving you and serving others. That our hearts would burn and ache to share the good news. God, thank you for putting people in my life who've invested in me, who've, who've, who've told me when I've messed up, who've, who've helped me on my own spiritual journey. And God, I thank you for those who are active in praying for us, each of us. God, thank you for calling us friends, calling us your sons and daughters. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that they would, uh, who haven't accepted you as their personal Savior, God, that they would today, that they wouldn't wait. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.